I got some big shoes to fill this morning. So I hope you bear with me because I only found out Friday that I'm actually doing this. But I want to begin this morning where Gino left off last week. So would you grab your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 24. By now that you're, you should almost put it on the binder and just let go and it'll open there. We've been there for so many weeks, but uh, I want you to look with me at Matthew 24, verse 14. In Matthew 24, verse 14, we read this. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Look at it again. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I want to submit to you this morning that in light of what we've been learning over the last few weeks from Matthew chapter 24, that hopefully by now, you understand that we are in the last days before Christ's return. Hopefully by now you realize that we, the church of Christ, are going to be raptured soon. In fact, I was on the phone with, with Pastor Phil yesterday. We were talking about this very thing. And one of the things Phil said to me is, he said, Steve, you realize you may be the last preacher that the First Baptist Church ever hears. And what he meant by that is simply the Lord's coming. It may be today. Maybe tomorrow, but it's coming soon. And, and as Phil's been leading us through this study in Matthew 24, talking about all the end times and everything that's coming, everything that, that is, is anticipated, I found myself constantly hounded by one simple question. It just kept going through my mind over and over and over and over again, and that is, what now? Okay, here's everything laid out for us in Matthew 24, and Phil and Gino have done such an amazing job bringing it to us. But what now? What is my role in these end times as a Christian? What is my understanding? What is my purpose? What is my, God's plan for me moving forward in these end times as I am to be his ambassador to the world around me? And and as I was asking myself that question, I kept coming back to 2 Corinthians 5.9. Because 2 Corinthians 5.9 says simply this, we make it our goal to please God. We make it our goal to please God. And I want to submit that when we live our life every day, every moment of every day to please God, we will, as we just saw in Matthew 24.14, be preaching the gospel of the kingdom. It's not necessarily just in our words, but it's in our attitude, our behavior, our demeanor, our actions, our choices. We need to make it our goal to please God. So in light of that, I have a question I want to pose to you. I'm going to ask you to respond by a show of hands. And here's my question. By a show of hands, how many of you would say, Steve, that's my goal. That's my desire. I really want to please God in every aspect of my life. How many would say that this morning? Amen. Hands going up all over the place. But I have a follow-up question to that. And that question is this. Again, by a show of hands, how many of you would say, Steve, sometimes I struggle. I really struggle with sinful thoughts and sinful habits. Thank you for your honesty. There's a conflict there, isn't there? I mean, on the one hand, there's a desire to please, glorify, honor, worship, and praise our Heavenly Father. But on the other hand, there's an equally strong, sometimes overwhelming, overbearing, overpowering desire to just please self. Paul describes it this way in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, the flesh 
is in conflict with the spirit. And the spirit is in conflict with the flesh. They're opposed to each other. They're contrary to each other so that you cannot do the things that you would. In Romans chapter seven, Paul puts it this way. The things I wanna do, I don't do. The things I don't wanna do, that's what I keep on doing. How many of you can relate to that? Well, in light of what we've been learning through Matthew chapter 24, I wanna ask the question, how do I take those sinful thoughts and habits which we all struggle with and transform them into patterns of life that are pleasing and glorifying and honoring to my heavenly Father, which is something we all desire to do. So my goal this morning is to walk you through four steps. Hopefully we'll get through all four. Four steps this morning to achieving that goal. Step number one is simply this. We need to understand the purpose of our life. Folks, why are you here? Now, I don't mean why are you in this service. I don't mean why are you at First Baptist. I mean, why are you walking planet Earth? Why did you wake up this morning? Why is there blood coursing through your veins, the synapses in your brains firing? Why, why is your heart pumping? Why are you sucking in air right now? You have a purpose. There's a reason why you woke up this morning. There's a reason if God sees fit that you will wake up tomorrow morning and the day after. What is your purpose in life? The Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes tells us the story of Solomon. Solomon goes on this massive quest to try and find meaning and purpose to his life. He tries to find fulfillment. He tries to find satisfaction in money, in things, in relationships, in pleasures. I mean, he runs the whole gambit. And at one point during his search, he pens the words of Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 14. It says this, I've seen everything done under the sun, and everything I've seen, all of it is meaningless. It's like chasing after the wind. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever wondered why you do some of the things you do again and again and again? No matter how hard Solomon tried, no matter how much money he put into the bank, no matter how many things he accumulated or how many relationships he developed or how many pleasures he pursued, he just couldn't quite grab hold of meaning and purpose to his life. Now here we are, we look back at his story and we say, well, duh, he was looking for it in all the wrong places, am I right? But I've got a question for you. Where do you typically go? What are the things you typically do to try and find meaning and purpose to your life? How's it going for you? I mean, are we really any different than Solomon? At the end of his search, he makes this one final, very powerful declaration. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Here's what he said. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's the whole duty of man. In short, if I were to summarize what Solomon's saying, it would be this. Meaning and purpose to life is found only when you focus your entire being around glorifying God. Let me repeat that. Meaning and purpose to life satisfaction and fulfillment in life is found only when you focus your entire being around glorifying God. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, it says, God in all things is to be glorified. Now, now don't let that slip by you. Let me repeat it, 1 Peter 4, 11. God in all things. Now, are you catching this? In all things, God is to be glorified. 
In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7, it says, God formed, he made, he designed, he fashioned, he created every single one of us for his glory. For his glory. Think about that for just a moment. From the moment of conception in your mother's womb, you were fashioned, you were designed, you were created by God to glorify God. That's your purpose in life. So I'd like to give you this point. Think about this. When you and I are doing what God created us to do, that's when we'll find meaning and purpose to life. And let me ask you, what did God create you to do? What's the answer? To glorify him. He created you to glorify him. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, it says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. I want you to focus your attention on that three-letter word, all, A-L-L. You know what that word means? I like to put it this way. All means all, and that's all all means. That little word all in those two verses simply means this, that even the most mundane, non-spiritual things you think, say, and do are to be thought, said, and done to the glory of God. You, you, you do know that the scriptures are very clear. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it what? Do it all to the glory of God. By the way, you do know that God is all about his glory, not ours, right? In Isaiah chapter 48, verse 11, God says, for my own sake, for my own sake I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. Six chapters earlier in Isaiah 42, verse 8, God says, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. So step number one to living a testimony in these end times, step number one to transforming those sinful thoughts and habits which we all struggle with into patterns of life that consistently glorify, honor, and praise God, which we all desire to do, is to understand that's what you've been created for. That's your purpose in life. That's why you're sucking in air is because God wants you to glorify him. Well, once we have that understanding, that leads us to step number two. We need to ask the question, how? How do I glorify God in every aspect of my life? I wanna share with you what I believe to be are the top three ways that every one of us in this room, everyone within the sound of my voice, are not just supposed to sometimes do, but all the time. Every moment of every day, you should do these three things, and that will bring glory to God. So let's walk through those together. Number one, everything I think is to glorify God. Every thought you think, every moment of every day, is to glorify God. Now, I've got a question for you. We're gonna have a little fun with this one. So, so here we go, you ready? In every given day, how many thoughts do you think? Safe to say a lot? All right, here's my follow-up question, a little more serious. How many of those thoughts that you think throughout the day should glorify God? What's the answer? All. And what does all mean? All. all means all. And that's all all means. But why? Why does every thought, every moment of every day have to glorify God? Can't I let a little bit of me, King Me slip through every once in a while? In Proverbs chapter 27, verse 19, it says, as water reflects a face, 
So one's life reflects the heart. Now, I want you to look at that verse. I want you to notice the word heart. You see it there? Your life reflects the heart. The word heart has a very specific definition in the Hebrew language, the language that this was written in. It refers to the place where thinking and decision-making occurs. You know where that is? It's your mind. So can we put that verse back up on the screen? Proverbs 27, 19. As water reflects your face, so your life is a reflection of your thoughts. Your life is a reflection of what's going on in your mind. In Proverbs 27, 23, verse 7, the King James Version, it says, as a man thinketh in his heart, there's that word again, as a man thinks in his mind, so is he. In other words, and don't lose this, this is a very important point, what I think will become what I do. What I think will become what I do. That's why Philippians chapter four, verse eight, commands us whatever things are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what are we supposed to do, folks? We're to think on those things. Time does not permit me to dive into all six things. I'd love to be able to do that. That's another message sometime. But I do want to take just a moment and run through them with you just briefly. The very first thing in the list is this. Is this thought true? And and by that, what it simply means is this. Is this thought based upon God's truth? Not man's interpretation of truth. God's truth. Let me ask you a question. Please answer me. Where am I going to find God's truth? In God's word. So the question that we need to ask ourselves is, is this thought that I'm thinking right now biblically based? Is this thought that I'm thinking right now supported by scripture? Would God approve of it? The second one is this, is this thought noble? The word noble means literally worthy of respect. The idea, if you will, is this. Let's say for right now, as as you're looking up at the big screens, instead of what you're seeing up there right now, suddenly your thoughts are being flashed up on those screens. And not just the thoughts you want us to see. Every thought you have ever thought, any thought you're thinking right now is being flashed up on that screen for everybody here to see. To make matters more interesting, ticker tape style scrolling across the bottom of the screen is your information, your name, your contact, everything about you. So everyone here knows that what they're seeing up on that screen are your thoughts. The word of, the idea of the word noble in Philippians 4, 8 is this. Would they respect you for those thoughts? But here's the thing. God does see your thoughts. God does know every thought that you have ever thought and ever will think. Does he respect you for those thoughts? It's the idea of the word noble. The third one is this. Is this thought right? Is this something that God would approve of as he's looking at your thoughts? Would he look with approval on it? Number four, is this thought pure? In other words, is there any sin mixed in with this thought? Is there any element of King me sitting on the throne of my heart as I'm thinking this thought? Number five, as God sees my thoughts, is this thought lovely to him? Does it bring a smile to his face? Number six, is this thought admirable? In other words, does this thought that I'm thinking draw my attention to God and honor and worship him Or does it draw attention back to me? Let's face it, those six things do not come naturally for us. Would you agree with that? That's why we're commanded to think on those things. 
That's why we're commanded in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, to take captive every thought and make each thought obedient to Christ. Now, as you look at that verse on the screen, there's a key word there I want you to notice. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to shout out the key word. Here's my question. According to that verse, how many of your thoughts should glorify God? Every one of them. Another word for every is what? All. And all means? And that's all all means. Every thought you think, every moment of every day should be glorifying to God. But let's be practical, folks. Every thought, every moment, every day, is that even possible? Our human nature would be to say no. I'm, after all, I'm a sinful human being. I should strive for that. I should press on towards that, but, but I, I'm not going to be able to think every thought. I want to submit to you that if you believe that, you're listening to the lie of the enemy. Here's why I say that. God will never, ever, underline it, circle it, bold print, star by it, exclamation points, God will never, ever command us to do something that is impossible for us to do. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, it tells us that sin is the transgression of God's law. Sin is disobedience to God's law. So if God commanded you to, and I to do something that is impossible for us to do, he'd be setting us up to sin. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 16 tells us God will not do that. So when it says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, to take captive every thought, guess what? You can do that. Because Philippians 4, 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Okay, so I can take captive my thoughts, but how do I do that? Well, I want to zero in on the word captive in 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Take captive your thoughts. That word captive is a very interesting word in biblical Greek. It actually defines itself this way. It's a very specific definition. It means this, to capture as a prisoner of war at the point of a sword. Take captive your thoughts as a prisoner of war at the point of a sword. You do realize that we're at war, right? I'm not talking earthly human wars. I'm talking spiritual warfare. Everyone in this room, everyone in the sound of my voice is daily engaged in spiritual warfare against a very powerful foe. So let me ask you this. Based on that definition, I'm to capture my thoughts using the point of a sword. Here's my question. What sword do you and I as Christians have to use to take captive our thoughts? God's word. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 through 18, the apostle Paul gives us the spiritual armor that we are to put on as we step into the battle against the enemy. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, Paul says this, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I, I need to use the scriptures, folks. I need to use the word of God to take captive my thoughts. It's only the word of God that's gonna help me think clearly. It's only the word of God that's gonna help me think biblically. It's only the word of God that's gonna help me think so that I can be and do what God has called me to be and do. But I want to focus on the word sword in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. Take the sword of the Spirit. Again, a very specific word in biblical Greek. It's not what you might think of as being the sword. Some of you may be picturing when you see, hear the word sword, the Roman soldier with the long blade hanging off his side. Now for me, when I see the word sword, I typically think of the gladiator type movies. 
you know what I'm talking about. It's the epic battle at the end of the, of the movie. The hero draws his long blade, charges into the battle, spinning the blade around, lopping off heads, chopping off arms, thrusting him through chest cavities, covered in blood and sweat, throws his sword down, drops to his knees, tips his head back, screams at... I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, sorry. That, that's not the sword that Paul's talking about here. When he says, take the sword of the Spirit... What he's referring to is a small dagger that is used in close-up, hand-to-hand combat. Now, that's powerful, folks, so I don't want you to miss this. Let me give you the definition again. It's a small dagger used in close-up, hand-to-hand combat. And here's why this is so powerful. Five verses earlier, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We're fighting against a very powerful spiritual foe, but what I want you to zero in on is Paul says we're wrestling. We're wrestling against our foe. So here's my question for you. Would you say that wrestling constitutes close-up hand-to-hand combat? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. So therefore, I need to keep in mind that it's a small dagger used in that close-up hand-to-hand combat because here, here's the thing you need to understand. When I'm in a wrestling match with the enemy, John 8, 44, Jesus said, Satan is a liar. He's the father of lies. He's the master deceiver. And he's whispering his deception into my mind. Why? Because he knows that what I think becomes what I do. So I must use the dagger-like precision of Scripture. Not just simply, well, the Bible says I shouldn't do that. Or I remember Pastor Phil saying one time, that's sin, so I better not do that. That's a broadsword approach. The dagger approach is it says in, this is what God says, this is what I'm going to do. The dagger-like precision of Scripture. So to transform my sinful thoughts and habits, which we all struggle with, into patterns of life that are consistently pleasing and honoring and glorifying to God, which is what we all desire to do. I must first glorify God in everything I think. The second of the three is this. I need to glorify him in everything I say. Every word I speak, listen, watch this now. Every word I speak, including my tone of voice, should glorify God. How many of you have ever taken a tone with someone? Oh, come on. Every hand needs to go up here. Every hand needs to go up. We all done it. Do you ever stop to think that even your tone needs to glorify God? Every word I speak, everything I say is to glorify God. So, so I've got another question for you. Let's have a little fun with this one. In any given day, how many words do you speak? Safe to say a lot? And here's my follow-up question. How many of those words that you speak each day should glorify God? And what does all mean? All All means all, and that's all all means. Every word, every moment of every day, everything I say should glorify God. In Colossians chapter four, verse six, it says, let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt. Always gracious, In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19, it says, when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. So here's my next question for you. If I'm gonna glorify God in everything I say, I must first glorify him where? What's the answer? In my mind. 
in everything I think because what I think is gonna come out in what I say. But don't take my word for it. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, and the word heart there is that same root word that we saw in, in Proverbs, it's the mind, out of the overflow, out of the abundance of your mind, the mouth speaks. In other words, your words are gonna reveal your thoughts. That's why Proverbs 16 Verse 23 says, a wise man's mind guides his mouth. All right, so to transform my sinful thoughts and habits, which we all struggle with, into patterns of life that consistently please and honor and glorify God, which we all desire to do, so we can be a testimony as we preach the gospel to the the lost and dead in their sins world around us. Everything I think is to glorify God. Everything I say is to glorify God. Here's the third. Everything I do is to glorify God. <clears throat> Everything I do is to glorify God. Now, I want to make a point, but in order to make the point, you all have to look at me or you're going to miss this next point. Everything I do, including... <sighs> my body language is to glorify God. Everything I do physically with my body should glorify God. But don't take my word for it. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. And as they see your good deeds, as they see the things that you do, they should be able to, your, your, their attention should be able to be drawn to God so they are able to praise and glorify our Father who's in heaven. How are you doing with that? If you're anything like me, my, my answer is room for improvement. But let me ask you this question. If I'm gonna glorify God in everything I do, he must first be glorified where? In my mind, in everything I think, because what I think becomes what I do. This next point I'm going to give you is, in my opinion, probably the most important point in this entire message. So if you lose your notes, you forget what we talked about, don't lose this. If I'm gonna glorify God in my everyday living, he must first be glorified in my every moment thinking. If I'm gonna glorify God in my everyday living, he must first be glorified in my every moment thinking. Here it is, bottom line, folks. To transform those sinful thoughts and habits into God-pleasing patterns of life. If I'm going to be a living testimony preaching the gospel of the kingdom to the lost world around me because we're, we're in the end times, I need to think transform thoughts. That, that's, that's the bottom line. But that begs the question, how? How do I do that? That takes us to step number three in our four-step process. We need to understand the role that our mind plays in fulfilling my purpose and glorifying God. So in order to dive into this point, I need to take a step back and kind of hover at a 30,000-foot view over what we just talked about. Because step number one, I need to understand my purpose in life, the reason I'm alive right now is to glorify God. That is my entire purpose for living. That's my entire purpose for existing. And once I understand that, then step number two, I begin living that out on a daily basis. Every moment of every day, everything I think, everything I say, everything I do is now focused on glorifying God. 
But step number three, in order to accomplish that, I need to grasp the vital necessity. I need to understand the critical importance of daily renewing my mind. Daily keeping my mind focused where it needs to be. One of my most favorite verses in Scripture is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. The Apostle Paul says there, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Now, we're going we're to take a few minutes. We're going to park on this verse because there's a couple of things I want to extrapolate, expand on so that we can better understand what the verse is saying to us. So I want you to think about the verb to conform. Be not conformed to the pattern of this world. The word conform literally means to put on a mask. It literally means to pretend in front of others to be something that you're not. Now I have a question for you. I want you to think about this. Why would a Christian, why would a born-again believer pretend to be something that he or she is not? Why have you pretended to be something and someone that you're not? In Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul asks a very powerful question. Says, am I now trying to to win the approval of men or of God? Am I trying to please men? If I'm trying to please men, I cannot be a servant of Christ. What's the driving factor? What's the motivator for you? As, As we walk through these end times, as we see the truth of Matthew chapter 24 literally unfolding in front of our eyes almost daily in order to live a life that daily pleases God, that preaches the gospel of the kingdom of God to a lost and dead in their sins world around us, I must not be conformed to the pattern of this world. I must not put on a mask. Let's face it, when I put on a mask, I'm not trying to please God, I'm trying to please man. In fact, let's, let's really face it. Who am I ultimately trying to please? Myself. I mean, hey, if I can get you to like me, I can feel good about me. Why? Because it's all about me. King me is sitting high and mighty on the throne of my heart. So I am to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but back to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, I am to be transformed. I love this word transformed. In the Greek, it's the word metamorpho. We get our English word metamorphosis from it. If you remember science class from elementary and high school, you may recall that a metamorphosis is a supernatural transition that changes something from one thing to something completely different, totally unlike what it was before. And what makes that metamorphosis so unique, what makes it so special is that transformation takes place from the inside out. What's the best example we have of a metamorphosis? Caterpillar to a butterfly. So here's what I want you to think about. The reason that a caterpillar transforms into a butterfly as opposed to, let's say, an earthworm becoming a butterfly is because the caterpillar has the nature of the butterfly already inside of it. And when the caterpillar spins its chrysalis, it's in that cocoon, and the transformation is happening, that which is on the inside comes out on the outside. That's the word Paul uses in Romans chapter 12, to be transformed. He's saying, let that which is on the inside of every born-again believer 
be lived out on the outside every moment of every day. Don't put on a mask. Don't pretend to be what you're not. Be what God created you to be. Do what God created you to do. Let him live his holiness and his godliness out in your life. In um, Galatians chapter two, verse 20, Paul says this, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. (laughs) Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you understand, do you realize that if you've named the name of Christ, if you put your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross of Calvary, you have the almighty, most holy, sovereign creator of the universe, God himself, dwelling within you with all of his righteousness and all of his holiness. He's there right now. Ephesians 4.24 tells us, that that new nature that God has placed within you was created to be like God. Not God-like, but to be like God in all righteousness and true holiness. So we are to be transformed. We are to let that which is on the inside be lived out on the outside. But let me ask you, according to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, how does that transformation take place? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let's Let's focus on the verb to renew for just a moment. In in the Greek language, it literally translates over to renovate. Be transformed by the renovation of your mind. If you've ever done any type of renovation project, then you know there are two major phases. The first one is demolition. You have to gut out all the old. You have to rip it all out. You have to get rid of it. It's gone. The, The old has gone. Once that's done, then begins the fun phase. Rebuild, remodel, replace. You're putting brand new in. In um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. But I want you to look back at Romans 12, verse 2 again. I am to be transformed, I am to renovate, I am to totally remove, completely gut out the old way of thinking. What is the old way of thinking? How do I please self? How do I make king me happy, happy, happy? I want, I need, I deserve, I desire, I have to have, I can't live without, it's all about me. And when that dominates my thinking, what is gonna happen with my speaking and my doing? It's gonna be about me. And I'm not going to fulfill my purpose. I'm not going to be glorifying God with my life. So why do we need to constantly gut out the way we're thinking? I like what Paul said in, in uh, where is it, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. He said, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds, don't miss this, your minds may somehow be led astray from the sincere and pure devotion that is in Christ. Do you understand what Paul's saying? Satan's target, his number one target is your mind. And that's why this next point is what I believe to be the second most important point in this entire message. And if you forget everything, don't forget the first point and now this one. And that is this, Satan knows that if he can impress your thinking, he'll impact your living. If he can impress your thinking, he's going to impact your living. Now, if the old way of thinking is, how do I please self? How do I make King me happy? 
and that has to be gutted out, then phase two of our renovation project, I need to put new in. What's the new way of thinking? How do I please God? How do I bring honor and glory to God? How do I worship my heavenly father? How do I praise him? Because it's not about me. It's all about him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, we're commanded to live in order to please God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, it says, live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. We opened the message this morning with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Make it our goal to please him. So I've got another question for you. When my mind is totally focused on how to glorify God. My mind is totally focused on worship and praise of my heavenly Father. Here's my question. What will my words and my behavior be like? Be pleasing to God. It's gonna glorify him. It's gonna draw others to Christ. But how? How do I change the way I think? I'm 62 years old. I've had a few years of thinking King me, I want, I need, I deserve, I desire. I, I, I created the habit of thinking, how do I change that? That takes us to step number four. And that is this, I need to fill my mind with the word of God. And while I, I know it's not in your notes, so I want you, if you're taking notes, to write the word daily after that statement. I need to fill my mind with the word of God Daily. And by that, I mean more than just reading the word of God. Yes, you need to read the Bible every single day, but you need to study it. You need to memorize it. You need to meditate on it. And you need to obey it. And we need to do that on a daily basis. Those five points could make another message, which we don't have time to dive into right now, but I want to focus for just my last couple of minutes here about the third point. I need to memorize God's word. How are you doing with that? Are you memorizing God's word? Are you taking the scriptures and making it applicable and real to your life so that as you're going out and walking on a day-to-day basis, you're living the truth out that you've, you've hidden in your heart? Amen. You need to memorize God's word. Why is it so critical? Why is it so necessary? In Psalm 119, verse 11, David penned these words. He says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In John chapter 14, we get a sneak peek into a little bit of alone time that Jesus has with the disciples. It's a very rare occurrence. He's alone with his disciples and he uses that opportunity to tell them what's about to happen. We're gonna go to Jerusalem. I'm gonna be captured. I'm gonna be crucified. Three days later, I'm gonna rise again and I'm gonna go to heaven to be with my father. But the disciples, their response to it is interesting, kind of reveals who is sitting on the throne of their heart because they start throwing this hissy, whiny fit. You're leaving us, don't leave us. And Jesus is like, guys, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, that's not in the Bible, by the way. That's Edner translation. Guys, whoa, come on. It's necessary that I leave you. If I don't leave you, the comforter can't come. You need the Holy Spirit to come. And in John 14, verse 26, Jesus explains to the disciples and to us in the church age what one of the major primary roles of the Holy Spirit was gonna be in the life of the believer. Here's what Jesus said in John 14, 26. When he has come, he will remind you of everything I have said to you. 
Think about that for a moment. The ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life and mine is to remind us of what God has said. But I have a question for you. I want you to respond out loud to me. Can you remember something you never knew? How many of you tried that in high school and college? (laughs) Didn't work then. It's not going to work now. You can't remember something you never knew. So if you're not memorizing scripture, if you're not hiding God's word in your heart, when you're in that moment of temptation, what does the Holy Spirit have to give you? Nothing. Nothing. You need to be hiding his word in your heart. You need to read it, study it, memorize it, meditate on it, and obey it. We got our work cut out for us, don't we? But I want you to understand, it's not impossible. Because Philippians 4.13 promises us we can do all things through Christ. And all means what? All All means all. And that's all all means. Thank you for the opportunity to bring God's word to you this morning. I've been praying and thinking, how do I land this plane? We've landed Hopefully it wasn't too bumpy for you, but let's stand together. We're gonna close in prayer, and I just wanna let you know that if, if you've got an issue or a prayer request, something that's heavy on your heart, and you just need someone to pray with you, our prayer team's gonna be down front. They're always here every Sunday morning, ready and available to just join with you in prayer. But would you join with me as we just close in prayer? Father in heaven, please, I ask in the name of Jesus that you show us the idols of our heart. Would you please reveal to us where King me has been sitting high and mighty on the throne? And I cannot ask this for the congregation. I'm only asking this for myself, but I hope that some others will agree with me in their own heart and their life. That what I'm asking is when when King me tries to sit on the throne, God, please, please dump a huge box of thumbtacks on the throne so that when I sit down, it hurts. Because I don't want it to be about me. Help us all to make it our goal to please you, to glorify you in all of our thoughts and all of our words and all of our actions. Not just today, but every moment of every day for the rest of our lives. Father, thank you so much for your amazing grace. Thank you for your awesome mercy, your never-ending love, your, your ongoing forgiveness for the divine power that you have given to us to be godly. And we close with this, Father, to you and you alone be all the glory and all the praise for it is in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.